Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. Oh me droogs, what are we gonna talk about today? <laughs> welcome back to another Plundergrounds. I'm spinning the wheel of topic ideas that I've got here in Obsidian my preferred note-taking device as of late, and I've talked about that before on previous podcasts, but um, for those of you who don't know, it's a markdown text-based um, interactive interconnected note-taking utility that um, gives me full ownership of my notes and is future-proof and does about everything I want it to do. So it's been really cool. Well, I threw some ideas in here for future podcasts, and I felt like talking today. Got my morning coffee. I actually ate a donut this morning. Very, very bad of me, but man, it was good. Uh, stopped at one of my favorite places. It's called Donut Touch here in San Diego. <laughs> and uh, got me a hot donut and a, a big old cup of coffee, Kona Hawaiian coffee, which is actually not something I discovered in Hawaii. I've known this, you know, I've, I've drunk this before a number of times, but um, I, man, I do love a good Hawaiian coffee. That's probably my favorite. It's got a kind of mellow nuttiness to it that um, if you're a connoisseur of coffees, which I wouldn't say I am, I just know what I like, right? Um, it's good coffee. So today, um, I want to talk about fantasy illustrators. There are so many fantasy illustrators that inspired me, um, and I think in some ways more than, as much as at least, the the fiction, the texts like you know, Lord of the Rings or Wizard of Earthsea or whatever, that these fantasy illustrators uh, fed my early imagination. There's a, you know, there's a big difference between the onset of, of uh, reading something and letting it channel through your brain and, and bring up images and like it's, that's a slower cooking process right that the simmer but man when you look at a good fantasy image it's a it's a mainline event it goes straight to your brain it fires up all the neurons um, it immediately hits you from all angles and your brain's able to process so much at once that it's it's literally like um you know, born full grown in your head, these fantasy ideas. And uh, some of the illustrators that I, I also will say this, let me sidetrack for a second. Book covers are sadly lacking in modern days. I understand some of the reasons for it. Like, because most book, the most, most of the time when you encounter a book now, um, let's just say, for most people, this is a generalization, but for most people, most of the time they first encounter a book quote-unquote, on the shelf is virtual, meaning they're in Amazon or Barnes & Nobles or whatever online, and they're seeing a thumbnail, which is, uh, you know, an image about the size of your thumbnail, less than an inch by an inch usually. But, um, and it, detailed book covers, like fantasy paintings with intricate uh, artsy fonts and all that kind of stuff just wouldn't read at that level, right? So most modern book covers have eschewed any kind of art um, per se. They are often photos that have been photoshopped to death or just graphic designs. Um, fantasy still holds out a little bit on this. You still see quite a few paintings on fantasy covers, but um, they are uh, rather boring covers that have the title and the author's name. Usually the author's name is the largest thing on there, um, just in huge fonts so that you can read them 
at thumbnail size. And that has been the death of the, the fantasy cover. Excuse me, I uh, need to turn off my email notifications. But that has been the death of the fantasy cover in a way that's just really sad to me because um, the, the paperback shelf where I used to go for books at Reader's World in Muncie, Indiana, or at, um, I'll forget the name of the the cheap books, uh, like, you know, used bookstore that I used to go to that I loved there. Um, so I'll just name another one that was kind of cool. Was one of, there was a one of these used bookstores that was one of those, uh, like an old house, right, that somebody had converted into a bookstore and probably put way too much weight on their floors. <laughs> but uh, And the aisleways were only wide enough for one person, and the whole place smelled of dust and old books. Um, and it was called The Books of Yore, which was a great title, a uh, great name for a store. But at any rate... When, when you'd walk down one of these aisles of books to make a selection, you were in an art gallery. You really were. I mean, every cover was an illustration, a painting, a, um, a, a very well thought out image that's trying to capture your imagination to get you to pick that book up. And the artists who did those covers, who did the calendars, who did um, even sometimes interior illustrations and such, they were the ones that um, you know, were speaking to me before I would even read the bl- back blurb or crack open the book and read a random page of it. They were the ones that were telling me to buy the book. They were the ones that were vying for space in my imagination. And I had this idea of talking about um, one artist at a time or, you know, and I and I have a list here on the side, some people I want to talk about, like Gino D'Achilles, um, uh, Frank Frazetta, of course, he almost doesn't need talking about because everybody knows Frank Frazetta. But uh, John Allen's, uh, see, is J. Allen St. John. I'm not sure what his first name actually was. Uh, Jack Gauguin, one of my favorite book cover artists. Jeff Jones, um, you know, Boris Vallejo, Daryl Sweet. Um, of course, uh, the, some of the illustrators for the AD&D line itself, um, Errol Otis, Dave Trampier. Although it might just be Tramp here. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Dave Sutherland, Larry Elmore, Jeff Easley, those guys. But really, I want to talk about uh, paperback book cover artists. And the ones that I, um, well, and, you know, kind of like pop culture artists, I guess. So, you know, fantasy illustrators, not necessarily RPG fantasy illustrators. But one of the one of the artists that I want to talk about that I haven't named yet uh, has was one of the most influential on me. And that is, uh, it's not a single artist, actually. It's a set of brothers. They were, I believe, twins. Um, I'm slow rolling this in case you want to guess. Have you guessed yet? They were intimately associated with Tolkien. Uh, they once put out a book of their own that uh, that was illustrated. I can't remember the name of it. I'll, I'll look it up here in a second. But it seemed like it was Shandazar or something like that. I don't know why I think that. But it was a fantasy of their own making with their own illustrations, but they were mostly associated with Tolkien. And they had an interesting way of working where um, one brother would paint for a while and then like go to bed and the other one would get up and, and paint right where the other one left off, right? So <laughs> they worked hand in glove. And that is the Brothers Hildebrandt. Um, if you've never seen Brothers Hildebrandt, they have an unmistakable style. Um, I would say they are a combination of the kind of uh, beautiful light that you see in a Maxfield Parish painting, this kind of uh, golden hour glow in their paintings, you know, that they find, and uh, a a sort of realism, but also a sort of um, stocky, warty earthiness 
that uh, to their figures that you don't always see in fantasy that kind of marks them as separate. It reminds me of how uh, Jack Kirby's figures in comics, you know, are unmistakable. You look at a, you look at an image in comics, and if it's a Jack Kirby image, you know it. Otherwise, it's a very close imitator. But usually, I don't think anybody's been able to really imitate him such that they can fool me per se. Um, his characters are very kind of blocky and squared off, and they have some of their own imaginative anatomy um, that seems to work nonetheless. And uh, they have these kind of operatic costumes with like um, cool it's halfway between a circuit board and like spiky armor right um, and just like that's you know you know it you know it when you see it Jack Kirby king of comics well the brothers Hildebrandt had this kind of like I said this kind of um, look about them that you could always identify and I want to talk about a couple of their most famous paintings so if you're in front of a browser you can pull these up I'll do my best to kind of describe them if and maybe if you've seen them before they'll come to life in your imagination but the first time I encountered the brothers Hildebrandt was in the 1976 or I think it was 1976 or 77 fantasy calendar um, for the for the Lord of the Rings Yes, I just looked it up. It was the 1976 calendar. The Hildebrandt brothers also did the 77 calendar, but it was the 76 calendar that was given to me as a present, I believe, by my brother. And it has um, these iconic images in it that I will never forget. Uh, that has a, a center spread, a centerfold, that is the Fellowship of the Ring uh, walking from left to right. Uh, through broken lands. I sort of imagine it as the space between Rivendell and the Misty Mountains, so I'm not sure where they're supposed to be. Behind them is a huge gnarled oak tree. Um, at the forefront is probably Boromir. I'm trying to remember in my head. And at the, you know, towards the middle and back are the hobbits. Uh, and Gandalf is uh, just kind of center, right center. It would have been a right of the staple, right? Since it's a spread um, in the calendar. Uh, with one leg forward and his long beard trailing and his staff and his uh, backhand. Uh, and his, uh, you know, he's looking sort of at the horizon and a little bit up. Like maybe he's looking at the sky above the horizon. And they're all kind of facing into a morning light. And it's just, um, it's kind of glorious, right? It's, uh, there's another painting in the uh, couple that, that's not my favorite painting in the, in the calendar by far, but it is neat. Um, and that was my picture of the fellowship, right? Uh, Hildebrandt brothers did hobbits like nobody else has done hobbits too. They, they look like little people. And um, I'm so disappointed, and I think I've said this before, in the fifth edition rendition of Hobbits that I don't, I can't even talk about it without um, bile coming up in my throat. But yeah, the Hildebrandt brothers did Hobbits right. Uh, there's a painting of Tom, Tom Bombadil in this calendar in his uh, bright blue robes and his uh, yellow boots. Uh, there is a painting of an old man, of old man Willow that's pretty cool. But uh, the paintings that I, that I like the most, there's uh, one of, I believe, I believe I've got all this right here. I don't have the calendar in front of me. Uh, so there's one of Gandalf at uh, Bag End standing in front of a little white picket fence and Bilbo... Uh, smoking his uh, long church warden pipe out in front of his, you know, round front door with the, the party tree over top. Uh, it's very, I don't know how accurate it is to the book. In some ways, it's not that accurate to the description of, of uh, like the tree, I don't think is on top of the hill and that kind of stuff. But it's just really good. It's, it's really captures my imagination. Also in this calendar, um, I believe there's some pig-nosed orcs. 
um, meeting uh, over a campfire that's really cool. It's a, it's a bold composition because, and by the way, um, outside of, uh, I'm windowing out here, but outside of Sleeping Beauty, I believe the Hildebrandt brothers were the first ones to make pig-faced orcs. Uh, and they did them frequently. Um, a lot of the, Most of their orcs had these kind of pig snouts to them. Uh, before that, if you look at Sleeping Beauty, there are these little monsters that look like pig monsters, but they're also um, other animal creatures there, right? So that, But they kind of look like pig-faced orcs, and I'm not sure if that's where the Hildebrandt brothers got their idea, but as far as I know, that's where that came from. Uh, but it's a rather bold composition, that's what I'm talking about, because in the dead center, taking up maybe 30% of the space of the painting, is the backside of an orc. He's backlit, or he's, well, he's... Yeah, he's backlit. You're seeing the backside of him. He's a silhouette, basically, in front of a campfire. And so you just see his shield slung over his left shoulder and his cloak, um, one foot, one arm holding a spear, and a helmet with horns. And that's all you see of that figure. And it's kind of a cheeky way of not painting a lot of things in the painting. It creates negative space, uh, essentially, in the painting. It's very clever. Um, well, the, the star of this... Uh, oh, I'll talk about a few more before I get to the star. So, so there's one uh, with Aragorn uh, regaling the hobbits with tails in uh, the prancing pony in Bree. And he's, uh, you know, the scale is great. He's got one foot up on a stool. Um, and he's got his hands upraised telling stories. And his shadow is cast on the wall behind him, looming even larger than himself. And then in front of them is all the hobbits kind of looking up at him in wonder. Um, that's great. Has a great bit of atmosphere. Um... There's a meeting of Theoden and Gonbury Gon, um, the hill folk with the, you know, the uh, riders of uh, Rohan and the hill folk. There is, um, well, I'm going to call this the second coolest painting in the calendar. But honestly, I think it's the best one. I just happen to have more emotional attachment to the first one, the one I'm going to talk about as the star. So the second most famous one is probably the battle between Eowyn and the king of the Nazgul. He's riding this cool pterodactyl-looking thing. It's crossed between a pterodactyl and a wyvern. It's got um, a, a massive nose horn and a couple of big back horns. So let's, let's paint the scene here a little bit. We're looking at a battlefield. Um, the sky is a dark blue roiled clouds, meaning it looks like it looks like it's what it's supposed to be, which is at the time it was uh, Saruman had sent out all these smokes to cover the sun so that his armies could fight effectively in the dark, basically, right? They, they don't do well in sunlight. And so this looks like heavy clouds um, obscuring sunlight. And then in the background, well, let's start with the foreground. In the foreground on, on the earth are is heavy shadow with uh, the dead bodies of riders of Rohan laying there. And uh, a standard that's planted into the ground looks like a... I, I can't see on this thumbnail here because I'm looking at a Google image search. I'm not sure what army's standard that is. But then... Uh, in the background, there's a little strip of land where the sunlight has broken through the clouds and is illuminating, you know, the land beyond. And um, there's also a ray of sunlight falling on the central figure, which is Eowyn. Uh, she's standing there, one foot planted forward, a red cloak billowing back in a white tunic with a white shield that's reflecting the sunlight. She's got one sword held up over her head, and she's looking up uh, at about a 45-degree angle at the menacing uh, which King of Angmar, the leader of the Nazgul, who is there um, 
in a in black robes um, and a crown with just red glowing eyes and a mace raised to smash down on her arm and break her arm. Um, spoiler alert! And he's riding <laughs> he's riding this cool um, kind of mustardy green uh, wyvern with a red throat and red tongue, and it's got a long snout with a nose horn and two big uh, horns coming off of its brow sweeping backwards and it's uh, hovering you know like you can almost see the wings flapping in that hovering way with its claws kind of outstretched towards Eowyn and it's just it's just ah it's so good it's so good Um, all right, but the star of the show for me is the painting of Smog and uh, a Smaug. I'm not sure how you say everybody's just a Smog, but it's S M A U G. So I was like, kind of, I like pronouncing it with a little bit of a twist. Um, Smaug is a red dragon from The Hobbit. If you didn't know, who who doesn't know this? Uh, and the painting is, um, uh, is just Smaug in his lair uh, with gold everywhere and vases and um, candlesticks and shields and, and swords and everything sticking out of this treasure hoard. Um, and it's kind of, um, imagine all the light is in the center of the painting and as you go towards the edges of the painting, it gets darker. And you get the ceiling that it's a cavernous space, right? So that you got these big pillars rising in the foreground and the background that kind of hold up the space. Um, it's absolutely crammed with treasure. And then dead center, you've got Smaug, um, uh, this kind of meaty, um, heavy looking dinosaur-like red dragon uh, with... Um, his back legs planted and his one of his forelegs raised. His neck is curved back in an S shape and he's jetting flame onto the treasure. Uh, presumably somebody was there. Probably Bilbo just uh, jumped out of the way is my guess. But <laughs> And uh, his wings are kind of half spread out, half raised. Now, as a dragon goes, this one is probably relatively weak if you think about it in the sense that it's not going to be able to fly unless it flies by magical means. Its wings aren't big enough for its body. It is a little bit more dinosaur-like than dragon-like. Its tail is super meaty. Um, we don't even get to see most of its tail, just where it kind of shoots off of the body. And yet, and yet... Um, it, when I was a kid, this was one of the best dragon paintings you could see. It was so badass. And it just it captured smog in a way that I hadn't seen um, before. And it's just a, it's an iconic painting. If you just Google um, 1976 Lord of the Rings calendar, Brothers Hildebrandt, and do the image search on Google, you're going to get lots of uh, you're going to get lots of these paintings. But there's a just mention a few others. I won't try to paint the picture, but there's one where um, Gandalf the White is revealed in Fanghorn, and he's standing on a rocky outcrop with rays of light hitting him. Um, Aragorn has got his sword raised, and it's bursting into flame, which it does in the book. Um, I think it's the only time it does that in the book. There's um, a really cool, another scene where, um, I'm not even sure where this is. It might be Moria, it might be uh, the Pelennor Fields, but it's orcs and they are, uh, there's there's kind of a lava or fiery chasm. Oh, it's probably in Mordor then. Um, at any rate, they're fighting and, they're, and it's, it's so heavy that they're falling. Like uh, the, fi- the, the bodies are so crammed heavily onto the parapets here that they're falling. Um, yeah, I don't know what the scene's actually from, but it's so cool. It's got chains uh, kind of going every which way, heavy bricks, um, and then these just super cool orcs. Um, and it looks like, yeah, I can't. It might be Helm's Deep, too. I, don't, I actually don't know where this battle is supposed to be. 
it probably it probably says um, it probably has it in the title of the illustration if I can find it here uh, I think it last sold for $165,000 it looks like which is probably not enough <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I can't find it I can't find it off the top of my head so that's that's the Brothers Hildebrand all kinds of other paintings by them that you could look at but you're going to get tired of me just describing paintings I want you to go look at them and uh, you know Google image search is fine I have a book uh, uh, um, and most people who love the Hildebrandt brothers have a book, right? Of these, and there's these, but they're just these images that have lasted with me forever. Um, you've got an artist that you think about this way too, I'm sure, uh, at least one, right? Where images are stuck in your head from ones that you gazed at over and over when you were a kid. And uh, especially those of us who were born pre-internet, when you couldn't just dial these things up, you had you would get a book out of the library or you'd buy a book or whatever. It wouldn't have these paintings in them or you'd have a calendar um, and you could just pour over these images, right? A calendar is especially a good example because a calendar just sits on your wall and you get to look at the image for a month. And uh, over time, you know, at least one day, you, you kind of just stop and, and really take it in. Um, Another thing that we've kind of gotten away from wall calendars. Uh, some people use them, some people don't. I don't. I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna be a hypocrite and say that I do just because of the art. I should. Um, I believe somebody even forgive me if I get. It probably was Bill or somebody gave me a calendar last Christmas. And I didn't hang it. I think it's my brother actually. So I don't feel too guilty because he doesn't listen to this. But yeah. Um, but the Brothers Hildebrand. Let me know if you want me to talk about some more artists. I just, you know, there's these people that need to be brought to your attention if you've never seen them before. Um, you know, we could talk about N.C. Wyeth. We could talk about, uh, I mentioned Gino D'Achilles before. He did um, covers for the old Barsoom novels. And they're my favorite covers for the Barsoom novels. Even better than the Michael Whalen covers, which are also good. Uh, but yeah, we could we could talk about artists forever, I think. And, and uh, maybe we should just talk about a couple like iconic covers of different artists. By the way, the, the name of that Hildebrandt Brothers book was Urshurak, U-R-S-H-U-R-A-K. And it was a kind of fully illustrated fantasy story. Never read it. It actually looked kind of dumb, ultimately. Sorry. But um, <laughs> it was just kind of a Tolkien knockoff, which there was a lot of at the time, right? And uh, oh, the other thing you may know the Hildebrandt Brothers from is they did a poster for the first Star Wars one of the the iconic poster where um, Darth Vader's head is kind of ghosted in in the background and there's a flight of X-Wings sweeping up in a swirling motion to the left side of the painting. But in the dead center is Luke Skywalker standing there, his, his legs planted firmly wide and his uh, light sword, his lightsaber pointed at the sky, raised above him, and, and then Princess Leia is in front of him with a pistol in her hand. Um, pointing outward and uh, C-3PO and RTD2 in the background, but yeah, that's if, if um, you may you you'll know it when you see it, right? If I, if you can't get it from my description, but yeah, um, and again, give me some suggestions. What are some of the artists that you love to think of, and maybe especially artists that are like intimately associated with one fantasy property, like uh, Boris Vallejo is is Dark Sun, right? I was going to say he's associated with Dark Sun, but he is Dark Sun. Dark Sun was kind of made with, with his art in mind. They um, When they were building the world, they went and found a piece on his uh, bench and basically made that the start of the visual look of the product. And so these are cool things to talk about, artists and their relationship with our fiction. Um, that's all I wanted to talk about today. Until next time, I hope you have a I hope you have a great weekend. Um, you know, like I said, play games you care about. 
uh, play games with people you care about and care about the people that you play games with and look out for those rest monsters. Hey, I'm back. Just inserting a quick fix here. I said, uh, listen back to my podcast before I uh, post it. And uh, I rarely fix anything, but I listened to it anyway to make sure it actually recorded it. <laughs> uh, but I did say Saruman sent out the smokes to cover the sky just so his army could. I meant Sauron. Of course, I meant Sauron. Um, I also didn't mention that, um, you know, Smaug's lair is, of course, the, the lonely mountain that he's inhabited. And uh, all that treasure is the dwarves treasure. And so this cavernous space is really just the, a part of the inside of the mountain. And then finally, I'll just add that uh, in the show links, I have put Google image searches for Maxfield Parish, Jack Kirby, and the 1976 Tolkien calendar by the Brothers Hildebrandt so that you don't have to do that. You can, you, while you're listening, you should be able to go to the show notes and just click on those. It's probably something I should have said at the top and not the bottom of the show, but uh, there you go. <laughs> this is Gorilla Podcasting at its best. Talk to you again real soon. Ah! Thank <laughs> you.